Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. When a marriage is in crisis, many people do exactly the wrong things. We've been talking about on Relationship Radio for the last few episodes, a new process we've come up with and have come up with seven steps to rescue a marriage that's in trouble and to rescue yourself. Now, we talked about the first three of those in one episode as being stabilized. How are we trying to stabilize what's going on here because the marriage is in trouble? And then we did an episode on another section, step four, which is really about how to heal the marriage. Now, we're in the last segment, which is about how you develop this wonderful new future together, how you flourish together. And we only talked about one of those so far, but we're going to talk about the last two steps, steps six and seven in this particular episode. Hopefully, then, you've got a good overview of what this new seven-step system is like. So, Kimberly, what are steps number six and seven? Step number six is to ignite passion and intimacy, or actually the right way to put it is to ignite intimacy and passion. Mm -hmm. Intimacy is all about rebuilding a friendship or having a friendship. It's about seeing your spouse as your best friend, the one that you would go to with your deepest, darkest secrets and your worst day that you've ever had, and you seek them for comfort. That's really what intimacy is. Passion is more about having that romantic fire, the a craving for oneness between the two of you. And so step six is where we can really focus on that part of it, kind of more of that feeling of falling in love, so to say. We're now just getting to at step six. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting is that if you look at, at in very detailed ways, intimacy and passion appear to be exact opposites. Because intimacy says, I want stability. Mm-hmm. I want security. I want to know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to predict your behaviors, to predict your emotions, so that I'm not worried about you going out there and doing that or this other thing happening over here. And so intimacy has this very warm and comfortable part to it where that I'm not worried about something unusual occurring. But passion is just the opposite. Mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to sexual passion. But, but passion has to do with the unexpected surprises that, that it's not going to somehow become routine. It's not going to be to the point where I know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, those kinds of things. And so in that sense, intimacy and passion seem to be incongruent. It's like you can't possibly have both. Therefore, if you're going to develop both of these, there has to actually be intentionality mm-hmm. because you have to approach each of them differently. Now, some people think if we just have enough intimacy, openness, transparency, vulnerability, then passion will naturally follow. And to some degree, that's correct. But because passion, well, in sexology, we talk about a thing called habituation, which basically says if a couple has been making love to each other for a couple of years, there's not a whole lot 
to explore. I mean, you know what's going to happen, you know when it's going to happen, you know what's going to be, et cetera, et cetera. And that can lead to this thing called sexual habituation, which can in turn lead to this thing called sexual boredom, which can make it tempting for people to look for titillation elsewhere. It's one of the reasons, now it's not to justify somebody with a porn addiction, but it's one of the reasons that porn's so big. Mm. It's like, okay, now I'm looking for titillation. It's also why if they're looking at porn after they get used to a particular kind of porn, again, there's nothing unexpected. Mm -hmm. And so they may then be tempted to a different kind of porn so they can, I want something unusual here. Mm-hmm. So think about a situation then where, okay, we want to have this openness, transparency, vulnerability, stability, nothing unexpected, so we can be close and warm to each other. How do you do that? And also have this passion over here, which is different, unexpected, uh, spontaneous, those kinds of things. Yeah, well, I think it takes a lot of intentional understanding of what passion would look like for each person. And what are those, I mean, talking about sexual, so what are those things you would want to try that are new or different or things that can spice things up in the bedroom or even just what are new and different date nights that we could do? What are different things that we can expose ourselves to that keep that newness, keep that freshness while also having the the stability of the intimacy side. I think it's interesting because even in the marriage research world, there are two big people who, uh, so one of them says, in order to maintain passion, don't share everything. Don't be fully Mm. vulnerable and open and Mm. keep a part of you hidden because that's what will keep the passion alive. And then there's another person out there who says that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. You're never going to fully trust the way that you need to if you're keeping parts of yourself from your spouse. And so even in the marriage world, there's two two people who have two diff- very different views of those. But I believe you and I see it as it's, it's a tension between the two to mm-hmm. balance, but that's also what can continue to make it fun and creative and exciting when you have both of them and you're being intentional about both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Dr. Peggy Kleinplatz. Mm-hmm. She is a, a Canadian researcher. Uh, remember reading two different studies that she and her colleagues did. I think she had one set of colleagues on one study and a different set of colleagues on the other. And both of them were about the, the subject of what's the difference between good sex and great sex. Now, what I'm going to summarize it because she came up with like seven or eight different things. I can't name them all just like that right now. Um, but summarizing them basically said this. Great sex is when... A couple, each person, husband and wife, can completely let go and um, allow themselves to become almost hedonistic in the sense of, I'm going to look for and surrender myself to the sensations and feelings of pleasure. But she also points out that if that's going to happen, you have to feel completely safe. Mm. Because if you don't feel completely safe with the other person, Mm -hmm then you're afraid if you completely let yourself go mm-hmm. that he or she may do something beyond your belief in value system or something that you'll find unpleasant or, or whatever it might be. And so you have to have the trust, the intimacy that we talked about so that when you're in the bedroom that you can so trust the other person that each of you can be completely uninhibited because you don't fear anything from the other person mm-hmm. or that kind of trust. But at the same time, then you can also both be free to tell each other about 
anything that you want to do differently without fear. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I read another study years ago. It was in a particular denomination. They didn't name the denomination. And they contacted the pastors in this particular denomination, all the pastors are male. And they were trying to ask them uh, about in this research project, if they use pornography, and if so, they had questions to follow. The older pastors were indignant. How dare you even ask? The younger pastors, some of them admitted, and then they started looking into, okay, why? Since this is outside your belief in value system, why would you do that? Well, not looking at all three of the major reasons, but one of the reasons was this. It's because of the fact that I'm afraid to tell my wife what I really want to do sexually for fear that she will judge me as being ungodly. Mm. And therefore, I cannot tell her that. And so to explore that, I might wind up looking at pornography instead. And I'm thinking, whether your spouse agrees to do something or not, having the ability where you could talk about it with each, without either one feeling censored, mm-hmm. without feeling judged, mm-hmm. then you can have the spontaneity and et cetera. As a matter of fact, and I think it's one of our membership levels, we actually have a a course, uh, Mm -hmm. Spark Your Marriage, which is all about how to do that, right? Yeah, and our strength in membership for when you're reconciling. Yes. (laughs) So if you're reconciling, you can take that. Mm -hmm. So intimacy, crucial, Mm -hmm. but also passion. To the point that Dr. Barry McCarthy says, if you ever hear your spouse say, I love you, but I'm not in love with you, Barry says that means your spouse has de-eroticized you. They don't think of you in erotic terms anymore. So intimacy and passion are both important. So what's the seventh step? The seventh step is to build your dream life together. So this one is all about looking forward into the future. How can you have aspirations together as a couple? How can you work towards things when life tries to pull you apart? What are you working on together that you're aspiring to that is continuing to bring you and focus you together as a couple? Now, this one can be a little tricky, too, because it does not mean giving up your individual Mm -hmm. aspiration. Right. As a matter of fact, Dr. Gottman talks a lot about that, that you need to be honoring Mm. your spouse's aspiration, whatever it might be, and helping your spouse get there, even if it makes no sense to you. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to give that up because then it feels like I don't have my own individuality anymore. Mm -hmm. So how do you continue to seek your own aspirations, Mm -hmm. but find a mutual aspiration that you can do together? Right. Well, again, this talk, this is a lot of conversations asking the other person, what is it that we value, that we enjoy to do, that we would like to do together? What do we want our our marriage and our lives to mean when we're older, right? What do we want to have done? So this can be something that's super long-term that you work toward, like we want to retire in the Swiss Alps. Mm. Great. Or it can be something that you work towards on a yearly basis, the things that continue to bring you back together as a couple, as a family. So I know for us, it's Every year we want to do an international vacation as a family because Mm. we love to travel. It brings us together. It's something we can continue to plan and look forward to throughout the year. And we we both love it. It's an interest we both have. And so both of our respective individual aspirations we have still help to bring this one to fruition because then there's purpose. There's purpose in the work and, you know, the jobs that we're doing and things because it's allowing us to save up money to be able to go on these international vacations. That's pretty cool. Actually, I know a minister friend who does something similar to that. He has a part-time side job and every dollar he makes there, he puts into the travel fund and once a year. Mm Mm-hmm. 
they go do whatever they can afford that mm-hmm. year based on how much you made. That's, that's a good example. So this thing you do together should be something that enthralls both of you. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it has more to do with what you accomplish than what you go to enjoy. Yeah. Sometimes it does. So this can also look like doing something to maybe it's volunteering together at at something that you do, doing a mission trip, you know, something like that, volunteering at a soup kitchen. Or maybe it's, um, well, that's another one of, of going camping. You said something that you accomplish. Yeah. So maybe it's doing something that's leaving more of a legacy. And that's what you want to work towards and, and figure out how to do as a couple. Mm-hmm. I remember meeting a uh, young man uh, several years ago down in Birmingham, Alabama, and he and his wife had a mutual aspiration that they were going to build a business big enough that they could give away $1 million per year. Mm. And that was their goal. So first thing, first part of the goal is we're going to have to build that big a business that we can have a million dollars left over after we have what we need to live on. And then we're going to have to learn how to make decisions as to where to give it, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So here they were not making anywhere near enough money. Mm -hmm. When I met them, they were both very young, but both just totally sold on that as an aspiration. That's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. So why is that aspiration part of building a dream life together? What is it doing to a person or a couple emotionally? Well, I don't know about emotionally, but mentally, when you're thinking about the future and you're planning a future together, it's keeping you focused on being together mm-hmm. and looking forward into the future together. Because a lot of times couples don't have that. They're just going through day to day, year to year, kind of waiting for maybe they're waiting for the kids to graduate you know, high school so that they have an empty nest again. But then when they become empty nesters, what are they going to do together? They've typically not intentionally continued to bring themselves together with something they enjoy or something that they want to accomplish together. And so that's when they typically look at each other and will say, who are you? Or I feel like I'm married to my roommate because there's nothing that they've continued to do, new experiences they've had, new hobbies that they've had together that have kept them in that interdependent part of them to to where they are their individual selves, but they choose to be together and want to be together Mm -hmm. through the things that they enjoy doing together. And so when they do that, obstacles, rather than pushing them apart, tend to push them together Mm -hmm. because it's like we have this goal that is really extremely important to us and we're going to make that happen. Will it be perfect? Uh, No. Will we have just bliss and happiness every step of the way to get there? No. I mean, like one of your vacations you had planned last year, and then was it COVID that came along? Something came along. Every vacation for the past four years has been canceled or delayed because of sickness or broken bones. Every one of them. This is the definition of buy travel insurance. (laughs) But it's still the aspiration that you and Rob and the kids have. Yeah. And it will affect your kids when they're grown. When you were Mm -hmm. a child, we traveled all over America. Oh, I know. That's why I love it so much. We were traveling everywhere Mm -hmm. all the time, going all kinds of places. And and so you got that in in the uh, first time we went to Australia, you went with us. Mm -hmm. You were like in junior high or high school? I was a junior in high school, yeah. Junior in high school at that Mm -hmm. point. And so Rob, of course, being in the military and his dad having been in the military, And so it's the kind of fire you're going to put in the belly of your kids. Mm -hmm. But it may be a little different. 
mm-hmm. like it may be, okay, we want to internationally travel, but we want to go to India and teach them how to garden into orphans' homes, Great. which is also something you have done. Yep. So just interesting how it goes on and on and on. Absolutely. Well, this is a brief overview of these seven steps. Mm-hmm. You'll be learning a lot more about it because of the courses we'll be adding at Marriage Helper because of uh, uh, webinars that we'll be doing, et cetera, et cetera. But we really hope that you see these seven things. So what's the first part? Stabilize. It's got three steps to it. The first is calm down. The second is? Get clarity. And the third? Stop your pushes and start your pulls. And then the healing process, which is step four, which is? To forgive and hopefully reconcile. Okay. And then if you do reconcile, steps mm-hmm. six, seven, I mean, five, six, and seven are? To rebuild trust, to ignite passion, and, or to ignite intimacy and passion, and then to build your dream life together. And if you're thinking, well, wait a minute, what if I get to step four and reconciliation doesn't take place, I just stop there? Well, yes, to an extent. But if you ultimately, if your marriage is not going to reconcile, well, let me say this in two different ways. First of all, reconciliation might not happen immediately. So there is a little bit of a holding period where you Mm -hmm. kind of wait and see what's going to happen. But ultimately, if the marriage does end and you decide to move on, then there's a bit of a detour (laughs) that it would take and you would follow a different set of steps. So we're actually going to have steps five, six, and seven for people whose marriages don't make it. Right. Like, for example, perhaps your spouse dies mm-hmm. or something like that. And But our goal is to help save and strengthen marriages. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to abandon you if that doesn't happen. We'll have a different step five, six, and seven for you then so you can create a great future. That's right. Well, thank you, Kimberly. And anything we need to say before we end this episode? Yeah. If you are interested on how to get started and you've said, I want to get all the way to building a dream life with my spouse. I want our marriage to be rescued and better than it's ever been. Where do I start? Great question. If you're ready to start now and you know that you need to get calm and that's where you need to begin your process in these seven steps, then join our membership and consider getting involved in coaching as well. But guess what? When you become a member, you get discounted coaching rates that are available only for members. So in our membership, it's created and our save membership, it's created so that it'll guide you through those first four steps. And then if you're saying, well, actually, I'm at the point where I've I'm talking to my spouse and they're willing to go to a workshop with me to work on the marriage, then you can still start your your journey with Marriage Helper by going to the workshop. We will cover the things that will be involved in all seven of these steps in the workshop, but it'll really be that catalyst transformation opportunity for your spouse to also see how things can be different. So start with that workshop and then we'll get you in our strength and membership, which will include the parts of the steps one through four that are going to be in save, but it's also going to include everything past reconciliation. So steps six, five, six, and seven will all be in the strength and membership. And the strength and membership, when you attend the workshop and you get the strength and membership with it, we give you a year of support through our support calls that happen in the membership, through the content in there, through the community aspect of it, because we want to see your marriage end in building a dream life together to not end with a divorce, but to end 
in the seven steps and to continue forward long past your need for marriage helper because our mission is to save and strengthen marriages and the marriages that are saved is the number one thing that we exist to see. Thank you very much for being part of this episode and we'll look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Relationship Radio.